Hello. Please have a seat. Well, it's a delight to be here, Pastor John. Uh, the best part of my job is going to churches and speaking. It's far, far more fun than what I have to do Monday to Friday. It's just a hard work. <laughs> Last week we were in an African church. It was so cool. Have you been to an African church? They have the offering out the front here. and Everyone dances up to do the offering. I'm not even going to try because I just can't do it because I know for certain that white men can't dance. But it's just fabulous to watch it. It's delightful to go to different churches and see people uh, worshipping the same God. Fabulous. So who is Mr. Communion? Was that Justin, was it? Good on you, mate. Well done. That was excellent. Give him a hand. Thank you. I love communion. We just need to refocus on the fact that our faith is in Jesus Christ and not all the other stuff around and about us. Hey, I, um, I think there's two or three of my books down there. If you buy one, I'll sign it. So that will be a, uh, that'll be a signed first edition. Uh, so if I become famous and the book doesn't fall apart in 500 years' time, it'll probably be worth 20 bucks. So um, that's a good investment for your children, I reckon, or your, or your grandchildren. Have a look anyway. I'd like to have a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 10. So do you have a Bible there or, or a phone? Let's turn to it for a moment and have a look. Are you with me? Cool. Here's verse 1. And you, that's all of you, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What a mouthful. What he's saying is we lived pretty meaningless lives before we came to know Jesus Christ. Chasing around doing all sorts of stuff and not really feeling like we found what we were looking for before we came to know Jesus Christ. So that's verses 1 to 3. Verse 4 is the turning point. It says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's called salvation. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about something we call salvation, coming to know God, coming to sense that our, our sins have been forgiven, our life has been transformed, we've encountered the Creator. That happened to me on the 15th of May, 1977. Most of you weren't born. In Townsville, in far north Queensland, on a Sunday night like this, I committed my life to Jesus Christ. I woke up the next morning and said, what have I done and can I get out of it? Um, and thank God that people uh, looked after me and nurtured me and uh, protected me and helped me to grow in the faith. So it's about salvation, isn't it? The passage is about salvation. But read the next verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
It's about salvation, but it ends up talking about the purpose of our life, which is what I want to think about for a few moments tonight. Uh, Often I've heard salvation preached, and sometimes it's saved from something, saved from a big, bad, wicked world. And I had a tiny bit of a testimony like that, certainly by no means as dramatic as some I've heard, but we often hear that I was saved from this life. Indeed, all of us have been. My kids grew up in church and never got saved from that. But they still made a decision at one moment in their life to commit their life to Jesus Christ. So we are saved from something, and then we're saved towards something. And the older you get, the more heaven becomes attractive. <laughs> you know, if you want to preach to the old people's group in the church, uh, do that verse, in my Father's house there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. <laughs> old people love that. Young people not so keen on it. I got lots to do here before they go and find a room in a mansion up there. But saved to heaven. Cool? Saved from, saved to, but the apostle's more interested in saved into. Saved into a life of purpose. And this Christianity is not just a ticket to heaven, it's not just escape from something bad, it's not just hanging out in church, it's a life of meaning and purpose that God has for each one of you. Father, I do pray uh, that you will capture our imaginations and capture our hearts as we think about your word tonight. Amen. We don't have very many pets in our house. Uh, we have goldfish at the moment. Uh, the beauty of goldfish is we don't have to look after them very much. Someone comes and cleans out the pond every three months and my son-in-law feeds them. So they're perfect pets. Uh, nothing to worry about. But years ago, I bought my wife a, um, a budgerigar. I thought she needed a pet and she hated dogs and didn't want cats. And so we bought her a budgie for a birthday. I think it's probably the the worst birthday present I've ever given you isn't it bought her a budgie and we named him Nippy because as soon as we met him he just kept nipping us as budgies are prone to do we called him Nippy and, and Nip lived in a cage and in the cage there was a, um, a mirror up the top there and Nippy loved looking in the mirror budgies like looking in the mirror don't they he'd look in the mirror this way and he'd look in the mirror that way back and forth and he'd go away and he'd come back and look in the mirror who's that and Nippy would do that he could spend 24 hours a day doing that. But on the other side of the cage, there was a bell. And Nippy also liked to ring the bell. So sometimes he'd leave the mirror, he'd go over and ring the bell. And he'd look in the mirror, he'd ring the bell. He'd look in the mirror, he'd ring the bell. He'd ring the bell, he'd ring the bell, he'd ring the bell. He'd look in the mirror, he'd, look in the, he'd ring the bell. And Nippy was really happy with this. Down the bottom of the cage, there was some bird seed and a bit of water. And every now and then he'd go down, have a bit of bird seed, have a bit of water, go back and ring the bell, look in the mirror. That, Nippy really liked this every now and then we'd get him out of his cage and we'd sort of sit him with us if we're watching tv and sit him on my shoulder or on my lap or something like that and Nippy would stay there for a little while and then he'd just jump off and he'd flutter half walk half flutter back to his cage climb up jump into his cage and when he got back in his cage he was happy again he felt very insecure outside that cage but in the cage he was happy as larry ring the bell look in the mirror ring the bell look in the mirror have something to eat have some drink ring the bell look in the mirror every now and then i would sort of push Nippy. I'd look at him and I'd say, well, Nip, what do you want to do with your life? <laughs> He'd look at me. Nippy, what? what's your plan? Five years from now, what are you going to be doing, Nippy? He'd turn his head on his side and turn his head on his side. Have you looked into a budgie's eyes? There's nothing there. It's just black. <laughs> like a great white pointer in a little yellow body. There's nothing there. Nip had no purpose in life. 
nothing at all he said ring a bell and look in the mirror and have something to eat and that's all he wanted to do with his life and you know what that's thoroughly appropriate for a budgie apparently God made budgies that way that's all I need to do but it's not appropriate for you and I because we are created in the image of God we are created to reflect the creator in a way that nothing else in all of creation is called to do budgies or lions or tigers or sharks or anything else out there as Christians, we believe that we are distinctively different from the rest of creation. And so we don't buy evolution. Sorry, we don't buy it. We believe that we're distinctively different from all the rest of creation. We don't think we resonate. We think that we are the result of God's specific creative intent. Your life has purpose and shape and meaning because the Creator has made you in His image and wants you to grow into His image. Now, you and I know that we've got some problems in the world today. The image has been inverted. Uh, we're impacted by something called sin. Our lives are not quite the way they should be. But deep within every human being, there's a desire for purpose. There's a quest for purpose. St. Augustine, a great theologian of the third century, he said that our, our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they find their rest in you, our Creator. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Or later on, a French philosopher, Pascal, said, there's a God-shaped vacuum within each one of us and we're never happy until it's filled. But we try to fill it. We try to fill it with all sorts of stuff. As humans, we're searching for purpose and we try to replace it with entertainment. My daughter's grown up now, one's 34, one's 33. Um, married with children, but they were teenagers in the 90s and in the 90s they loved a particular TV show it was called Friends remember Friends? they loved Friends and I didn't like it I thought it was a silly show but, but my daughters loved it remember the song? no one told you life was going to be this way your life's a joke you're broke your love life's DOA, DOA that's right <laughs> come and see me I'll help you <laughs> but I'll be there for you when the rain starts to fall I'll be there for you like I've been there before and goes on to something else doesn't it and it's got a happy tune hasn't it but they're thoroughly depressing words <laughs> it's an interesting show because friends starts on a couch remember they're hanging out on the couch and they're having a little talk and then they go and have some weird adventures and then they come back and they finish up on the couch and that's life failures problems small successes the only thing you look forward to in life is having a coffee on a couch ring a bell look in the mirror ring a bell look in the mirror ring a bell look in the mirror have something to eat have a drink sit on a couch that's the message of friends i did like seinfeld though thought it was a more mature show um, more intellectual more aimed at someone of my sensibilities of course, Seinfeld is self-described as a show about nothing, about the inconsequential minutiae of everyday life, involving four pretty mean-spirited characters who just want to get one up on someone by the end of the show. <laughs> Why do we love Seinfeld? <laughs> Why are we attracted to friends? Oh, they're good shows, well put together, touch the zeitgeist of the day but really the message of both was life hasn't got much meaning at all it's just a series of events a series of occurrences 
and just make the most of this occurrence. You don't know what the next one's going to be. And if you can't do anything else, sit down on the couch and have a cup of coffee with somebody. That's all life amounts to. It's a budgie life. But to be a Christian is to find divine purpose. To come to know Jesus Christ is to rise above the budgie life and to find purpose in him. And so our lives have purpose in Jesus Christ. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Our lives have meaning and shape and significance and purpose. I can think of at least three purposes for your life. The first one is very simple. The first purpose of every human being is to come to know God in Jesus Christ. We were made to know him and we don't work well unless we know him. So the first purpose of the human existence is to come to know God. I love the words of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Do you know these words? The chief end of man is to know and love God and to enjoy him forever. I love that last phrase, to enjoy him forever, because it's written by Scottish people. And they're just not known for enjoying life. They're grim, determined people up there in the highlands, on the moors, in the cold weather, making scotch. And... uh, but in a moment of enlightenment, the sun shone on Edinburgh for a day and, and, uh, and they're to enjoy God. To enjoy God. Any Scottish people here? It's part of the Presbyterian church. Any Presbyterians here? <laughs> what a fabulous thought. The chief end of man is to know and love God and to enjoy him forever. And those who've come to know God will testify that to know God is to enjoy God. To know God is to revel in his love and his grace and his mercy and the joy and the peace and the goodness that comes into our life through encounter with the living God. The first purpose of every human being is to come to know God in Jesus Christ. The second purpose, of course, is having come to know him, we make him known. And so everything that you and I do should be predicated on the fact of the proclamation of the gospel. Your pastor talked about a Christian university. Why? to contribute to the proclamation of the gospel that's why (laughs) to put people into different segments of society who understand what it means to live their life in the light of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ you won't learn that in any other university in fact you'll be told to put your faith in your back pocket but we'll tell you to bring your faith out and use it to make your life meaningful and then the third purpose for each of us is a little more specific God has a plan for you and you, and you, and all of us. When I got saved on the 15th of May, 1977, in Townsville, well, I thought, what does God want me to do? And I thought of a million different things. But at the time, I used to play guitar. And I, I knew three chords. Uh, I knew six chords. I knew two keys. And I could play. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll write some songs for Jesus. And I wrote them. It wasn't hard to write a song in those days. They, were, they had melodies. They had tunes. They were easy to sing. And so I wrote a few and I played them to my friends and, and they all sort of helped me to understand that that wasn't God's call for my life. <laughs> helped me to deal with disappointment. Helped me to move on beyond that. <laughs> helped me recover. <laughs> and so I've gone on and I've found out that, that there are some things I'm good at. Some things that reflect the Creator's intent in my life. And so I'd say I'm doing the job I'm doing now because roughly I have the skills and the talents Uh, the call of God to match the job I'm doing at this point in time. God has a plan for you and it reflects who you are, 
the way you are, what you love doing, what you're passionate about, what you're good at, what you've heard prophecies about, what you sense deep in your heart that God's calling you to do. And I say to you, don't give up on it. Don't stop. Don't be distracted. Don't go down a side route. Find God's plan and serve it faithfully in your life. Because to fulfill your potential is to achieve God's purpose. To fulfill your potential is to achieve God's purpose. I really don't want to finish this life thinking, gee, I could have done a lot more. Gee, I could have had a go. I'd rather get to the end of this life and say, wow, did my best for Jesus. There's a great verse in the book of Acts. It's the Apostle Paul talking, trying to convince some Jewish people to his way of thinking. And he cites one of the heroes, the great hero David. And he says that David served God's purpose in his generation. And then he fell asleep. I love that idea. David served God's purpose in his generation. We only get one go to do this. This is not a test run. We get one go to serve Jesus. If you live to about 82 on average, you'll live about 30,000 days. You get about 30,000 days to make an impact upon the world for Jesus Christ. I've got less than 30,000 days. <laughs> it's clicking down for me. It's running down. I've gone past the halfway mark on my way down. Unless, of course, I can live to 120. Then I've got a few left. But David served God's purpose in his generation. I wouldn't mind you being able to put that on my grave, on my epitaph. He served God's purpose in his generation. Pretty cool. And then he fell asleep. And then he died. As I said, my kids are, are old now. They're not old, they're very young actually. <laughs> they're, they're low 30s, my kids, 31 to 34. But when they were little kids, we used to like playing Monopoly. We'd play it quite a bit uh, on those rainy winter days. Monopoly's a fabulous game. It can go for two weeks, you know, for a long time. And we'd set the board up and there'd be uh, five of us myself, my son Andrew, my daughter Melissa, my daughter Amanda and my wife Sandra and we'd have five around the board and we'd start the game and after about half an hour Sandra would bail. She just wouldn't hang, she didn't like Monopoly very much, she'd rather go and do something else. So if she'd accumulated any property we did a bit of an auction and we all got her property and on we went. <laughs> One less, only four in the game and we'd play on. And the two girls, I don't know what it is about Monopoly, it seems to be a male game, but the two girls eventually would bail as well, have a little fight, get a bit annoyed, something, and so we'd auction off their properties, and then it's only my son and I, and we would play to the death. <laughs> to total domination of the world, to ownership of all of London, and we would play hard unmercifully keep at that game keep going and going and going every now and then I was lucky I'd end up with Park Lane and Mayfair I love that feeling when you own Park Lane and Mayfair isn't that fabulous and you put a house on there and you put another house on there and you've got four houses on each and you think I'm sick of being a landlord I'm going to be a publican and you knock them down and you put a hotel on each 
when you get that hotel there, you know if anyone lands on Park Lane or Mayfair, well, you're going to talk. And uh, my son, yeah, he's a lucky guy. He'd skip around. He'd get past it once. He'd get past it twice. But inevitably, he'd land on one or the other, and we would talk. And talking at that point of the game means you're dead. <laughs> so I'd win everything, everything on the board, the entire west end of London and all the money. And what do you do when you've won everything? You own all the money, you own all the tokens, you own everything. What do you do? You pack it up. <laughs> That's what you do. You look at that money and you say, I wish this was real. <laughs> you put it away. <laughs> Put away all your properties. I wish these were real. <laughs> put them all away. Anything else you've accumulated on the way, if you get out of jail card freeze, and put them all away, get your little token. I always used to like the hat. Put it away. Pack it all away. And put the lid on the box. End of the game. And one day they're going to put a lid on my box. And here's a cool question. What will you take from this side of the lid to the other side of the lid. What goes through the lid on the box? Two things. You, the person you've become, the life you've lived, the potential you've realised, you, and the people you've influenced. The people who somehow or another you've connected to Jesus Christ and you've helped them to grow in their faith in Jesus Christ and their commitment to Jesus Christ and you've helped them to fulfill their potential in Jesus Christ and if you can do that you haven't lived a budgie life David served God's purpose in his generation two things about David are interesting first thing is he wasn't a pastor when I was young Pastor John the only way to serve God was to be a pastor everyone else just went to church and they were backslidden the only way to serve God was to be a pastor. And so I became a pastor. I'm still, I've, I've got credentials. I'm an ordained minister of Australian Christian churches. So I'm still a pastor. And then I get called pastor or doctor or associate professor or all sorts of things. I have too many titles now. I'm still a pastor, but probably, probably really, I'm not really a pastor. Probably not naturally a great pastor. Uh, someone who shepherds a flock and looks after them and runs a wonderful church like this. David served God's purpose in his generation and he wasn't a pastor. And I hope that's helpful to you. Church only needs one senior pastor and some associate pastors. It doesn't need too many pastors. It gets to be pretty chaotic if we've got a lot of pastors. <laughs> but we need lots of people who are ministers for Jesus Christ, who view their life as being an expression of God's will, who view their life as being ministry, who view whatever they do, whatever vocation they're involved in, whatever their workplace is, who view that as ministry. We need a lot of people like that. And some of you will be called to be pastors. And some will be evangelists. And some will be business people. And some will be politicians. And some will be teachers. And some will be prophets, etc. Second thing I like about David is um, he wasn't perfect. I like that because I'm not perfect. <laughs> There's a terrible story about David in the Bible. I'm sure you've read it. Where he sort of fell in lust with a woman and decided that as the king, he'd do what he liked. He'd get away with anything. And so he decided he wanted that woman. You know the story? And essentially he raped that woman. That's the truth. When the king says, 
do this with me. You don't have much choice, do you? And then he tried to get a husband to agree with him, to cover it up, to hush it up. And the husband wouldn't do it. So David said, let's put that guy in the front line of our troops as we attack this city. And when he's up the front, right near the city, everyone else draw back and let's see what happens to him. That's called murder. So David's a rapist and murderer. But he served God's purpose in his generation. He knew how to repent. He knew how to recover from sin. I don't know what your life's like. I don't know what's good about your life or what's bad about your life. But I'm pretty sure none of you have done what David did. And he served God's purpose in his generation. To fulfill God's purpose for you is to achieve your potential. To achieve your potential is to fulfill God's purpose for you. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, a life of good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. Serve God in your generation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for everybody here. Everyone called by you. Everyone special, important. Every life meaningful. And I pray that our hearts would be for you. And I pray that our intent would be for your purpose. And I pray that right now you would inspire and challenge and draw us individually into your purpose for our lives. Just pray for a minute there, will you? And let me ask two questions. Just pray and don't look around. Let people have privacy. Let me ask two questions. The first one is, have you come to know the God who gives purpose? On the 15th of May, 1977, I committed my life to Jesus Christ and my life suddenly had purpose and meaning and shape. And if you're here tonight and you've never consciously, deliberately committed your life to Jesus Christ, you probably don't quite know what I'm talking about. But God is here to grab a hold of you and to bring purpose into your life. Hey, you're here tonight and you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ and you'd like to do it. Give me a little wave and say, yeah, I, indeed, I would. Give me a wave and say, yes, I would like to commit my life to Jesus Christ. Anyone here want to do that today? Cool. i go to the second question. And this is for all of you people who know Jesus Christ. Is your life reflecting his purpose? Is your life reflecting his purpose? Has he got a hold of you? And is he unfolding his plan in your life? If you want to align your life more closely to his purpose, if you want to sense his call more clearly, if you want to connect your heart more deliberately to his purpose, then why don't you give me a little wave as well and say, yeah, that's me. I want to do that. Yeah, cool. Thank you. That's me. I want to do that. That's great. That's me. I want to do that. Anyone else want to do that today? Brilliant. Father, I pray for these who lift their hand. Lord, I pray that you will meet them now. You'll meet them at this moment of commitment. I pray you'll inspire their hearts 
with the possibilities of a life lived for you. I pray you'll fill their mind with the shape of your purpose for them. And do what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which He prepared in advance for you. Don't live a budgy life. <laughs>